So at the hub, uh, I haven't seen you all for more than a month now, and I hope you managed to get uh, some break in June. School term has now begun. My college will start a new academic year uh, tomorrow, beginning of orientation. And in all Methodist churches, we are about to start a new year of pledging. Today, as you heard just now, it's Pledge Sunday, and so I thought I would say something about uh, pledging. I'm going to tell you about an ancient pledge. And my text is Nehemiah chapter 10, verses 28 to 39. It's a bit long, so let me just set up the context of this passage first. Uh, you see, about 2,500 years ago, the Babylonians invaded and crushed the kingdom of Judah. They besieged and then utterly destroyed the city of Jerusalem. The Babylonians enslaved the Israelites and they carried away all the artisans, the craftsmen and the skilled laborers. All these people were moved to faraway cities within the Babylonian Empire uh, so that they would work for the Babylonians. And only the poorest Israelites remain in Jerusalem. The city itself was reduced to a shell of its former self. The defensive walls were destroyed with fire and torn down. Uh, and the great temple in Jerusalem was pillaged. All its treasures were looted. The huge golden vessels used in the temple were chopped up by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar and carried away. Because they were all made of gold and they were very heavy. And this is probably when the Ark of the Covenant went missing. The Ark which contained the manna, Aaron's staff that budded and the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. Then about 140 years later, everything changed. And I think there's a bit of an echo. So if you could just remove the echo, please. Thank you. The Babylonian Empire was in turn conquered by the Persians. And the Persians allowed the Israelites, uh, those in exile, to return home. And Nehemiah and Ezra were two high-ranking Jews who returned home. Nehemiah uh, even obtained permission from the Persian king to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And he was governor there for 12 years. So the book of Nehemiah is his account of what happened. And it is a book of hope and new beginnings. Nehemiah repaired all the walls. He got together the exiles and those, uh, those Israelites still in Jerusalem. Everybody was allotted their portion of the wall to repair. They rebuilt it. And when that was done, to celebrate, all the Israelites gathered together to hear Ezra read out the, the scriptures in public. The first time the scriptures were read in over one century and a half. And when the people heard the law, many of them for the first time, they were so moved that some began to cry. And Nehemiah, Nehemiah told them not to cry but to celebrate instead, to go and eat and drink sweet wine, because that was a great day, that was a holy day. After they had rebuilt the walls, after they had read the scriptures, after they had restarted the celebration of their religious festivals, 
the Israelites came together with all their princes, all their leaders, all their priests to make a pledge. And this is the pledge they made. Nehemiah 10 lists out all the noblemen and all the high-ranking officials and it continues in verse 28. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the services of the house of our Lord, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God, according to our fathers' houses, at times appointed year by year, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also, to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithes of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. This is the word of God. Come, let's pray. So, Father, as we look to you and your word now, we ask you to remove all distraction, help us focus on you, speak to us, speak to all our hearts and give us understanding. Amen. So here in this passage, in celebration 
that they have returned not just to their city, but they have also returned to the ways of their God. The Israelites pledged to do things and to give things. What did the Israelites pledge to do? Firstly, they pledged to obey the law and to follow all the commandments of God. Secondly, they pledged to maintain their racial separateness and purity. It's not very politically correct these days, but the Jews saw themselves as a people set apart from other peoples to be the people of God. And so they took it very seriously. And for them that meant not mingling or intermarrying with the other peoples. Thirdly, they pledged to keep the Sabbath every week and also to keep a Sabbath year every seven years. This is called the Shemitah, where not only is the land left fallow, they don't plant crops for the whole year, they don't harvest anything, just let everything be, but also all debts are forgiven. So Shemitah literally means release. You are released from debt and the land is released from its labor. So the Israelites pledged to do three things. But then they pledged to give in three ways. Firstly, they pledged to give to maintain the house of God. They pledged to each of them, bring a third of a shekel to buy the animals for the regular sacrifice every day and other supplies needed in the temple. This included contributing wood for the fire in the altar. Now a third of a shekel is not very much. I said earlier, uh, so it's very difficult to calculate ancient currencies in today's uh, modern currency. If you take the silver standard, in the past, shekel was an ounce of gold, uh, ounce of silver, sorry, 16 grams of silver. So a third of 16 grams of silver, 5 grams of silver. Silver today is going at 65 cents per gram. So we are talking about 3 bucks, 30 cents. Or you take modern equivalent, Today, uh, one Singapore dollar is worth three shekels. So, you're talking about 10 cents basically. 10 Singapore cents a year. Right? So, depending on how you calculate it, some people say a shekel was, was enough to buy 10 days worth of provision. So, how much is 10 days worth of provision can range. So, the estimates range from $3 to $5 to about $100. The point is, this was set low. It was set low so that everyone could pay it. Even the poorest among the Israelites would be able to pay a third of a shekel per year. Secondly, the Israelites pledged to offer the first fruits to God. The first of whatever they received, they would offer to God. The first of the crops, the first of the animals, the first of their newborn sons. Now, I don't mean they sacrificed the eldest son in the family, but they offered up the eldest son in his family in service to God. And thirdly, they pledged to tithe. In those days, in that agrarian society, the tithe was not money. It says here very clearly, it's a tithe of the ground. The tithe was a tenth of their harvest. It was food and drink. It was meant to support the Levites who ran the temple and the system of animal sacrifice. And those of you who did the Disciples Path program 
we'll know that there were also other tithes. Right? Every year, the Israelites had to set apart uh, a tithe uh, for their own pilgrimage to Jerusalem for one of the three great festivals of the year. They set aside food and drink for themselves to celebrate on the pilgrimage. That's a tithe. Every three years, the Israelites paid a tithe to the poor, the orphans and the widows. A tithe of food and drink so that the poor could eat. That also is a tithe. I want to stress that it wasn't about giving money to the temple. The tithe was in food and wine and oil. It was giving to support the work of the temple, but given also to celebrate God's provision. And in short, the Israelites pledged to maintain the work and worship of the Lord. Now you must remember that all the worship and work then centered on the temple in Jerusalem. The Israelites, for example, didn't do evangelism. They didn't go on mission trip. They had no youth ministry. Everything revolved around offering sacrifices on the altar in the temple. That was the system the ancient Israelites pledged to maintain. Churches today are different. We don't offer animal sacrifices, unless, of course, you've been initiated into one of our secret special groups. But we have a way of doing church. What is our system of Christian community and outreach? Well, you know that we look after our spiritual growth. First, we have Sunday school, Sunday worship, children's ministry, youth ministry, seniors ministry. We have small groups, we have discipleship programs. We try also to advance God's kingdom in the world. We send out missionaries. We organize short mission trips. We send people to theological colleges for training and preparation for service. And then we try to help the less fortunate, people who need help. We run welfare services, family service centers, senior activity centers, nursing homes, hospitals even. And finally, of course, we look after our own creature comforts. We build new buildings. We have air conditioning, nice seats, not here but better in the hub. We provide food for fellowship. Here good also, but better in the hub. Well, this is a system of doing church that we today pledge to maintain. Just like the Israelites did so many years ago. We pledge not to meet a budget. We pledge to change lives, to serve God, and to maintain the work. And many of you went through the disciples' path at the start of this year. Session 4 of the course focused on financial generosity. I was in a small group in another church that also used the material. And it was quite surprising when everybody in the group gave their definition of riches and treasure. It was surprising because nobody, not one single person, defined riches and treasures in terms of money. What does treasure mean to you? Family, time, health. Not one person thought that treasure to them was money. And I wonder if it was the same for you, if it is the same for you today. I think that similarly, our pledging should not just be focused on money. Just like the ancient Israelites pledged to do things 
and to give in certain ways, we should pledge the same way. All of us Methodists, when we became members of the Methodist Church, we took a vow to support the Church with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, and our service. That is how we support the Church. You will see, although it's implied in presence, money is not mentioned. We do things for the Church. We serve God and we give to maintain the work. And I, I believe that God will supply all that is needed for His work. Whatever God wants to accomplish, God will provide. And George Mueller is one of my favorite examples of God's generous provision. George Mueller was a Christian pastor and missionary about 200 years ago. And he opened the Ashley Down Orphanage in Bristol, England. And over time, at that orphanage, George Mueller took in 10,000 orphans. He fed them, he cared for them, he put them in schools. But he never made a request for financial help. He never had a fundraising drive. He never had an appeal. God provided everything George Mueller needed. And there's this well-known story of George Mueller which shows just how God provides. It's a true story, of course. But one day, one morning, the, the house mother, the orphanage, came up and told George, children are dressed and ready for school, but there's no food for them for breakfast. What did George do? George told the house mother, please get all the 300 children into the dining hall. And then he came down and he said grace. There was no food on the table. But George Mueller said grace, knowing that God would provide. And they waited. After a few minutes, there was a knock on the door. And there was a baker. The baker said, you know, Mr. Mueller, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread in the morning. So I got up and last night I baked three batches for you. And so as the baker was bringing in the bread, there was another knock. There was a milkman. His cart had broken down outside the orphanage. And there was no way he could repair the wheel in time to, to, to deliver the milk in time. So he didn't want the milk to go to waste. So he asked George, do you need any free milk? George said yes. And so the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk, enough to feed the 300 children. Bread and milk doesn't sound like much, but the point is God provided George Mueller had faith, and God provided. In addition to the orphanages, Mueller built over a hundred schools. He never once had to have a fundraising drive. He never asked for money. God gave him everything for the work. But if God will provide for the work, then why do we have to give? Why do we have to pledge? Well, maybe we are the ones that God will provide for his work. Maybe the money that God will give is reversed already. And I think we should give because all of us should be involved in God's work. Today I notice in many churches that fewer and fewer Christians are active in churches in general. So if you have a 10,000 member church, it doesn't mean you have 10,000 volunteers or workers. It means, as churches grow bigger, uh, that we pay others to do our work now. We no longer volunteer. We hire staff, not just to coordinate, but to do the actual work so that we don't have to do it. That's not how the church was set up. Early church was that. All of us should be involved in God's work. It doesn't mean that you have to give a lot, but God accepts the tiniest gift you have 
if it comes from the heart. Remember, remember the, the story of the widow's might. Of all the people that gave in, Jesus noticed the widow who put in the two smallest coins. She gave from the heart. In the magazine Preaching Today, Bob Russell, chairman of the board of the London Institute, shares the testimony of a woman called Jackie Nelson. And Jackie Nelson says, I'm a single mother of three teenagers. My ex-husband does not help. I barely get by. We really want to do our part in this three-year campaign so our new building can be built. But when we discussed it as a family, we realized that we can't give any more than a tithe. So we decided that our gift would be to pray every day for the success of this program. But in the middle of our discussion, my eldest son said, Mom, we got cable television. We don't have to have cable television. And so we decided to give up our cable TV for three years so we can do our part. All of us can be involved and all of us should be involved. And when we pledge, it's not just money. It could be a pledge for prayer, for service. And what is more important is your attitude and what you feel in your heart. Because we pledge to change lives. Just like the Israelites pledged to do and to give. Just like they pledged in celebration. We should pledge in the same way. And we are able to pledge because God has blessed us so abundantly. 2 Corinthians 9.11 says you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. God has enriched us in many different ways so that we can be generous. And this is very different from saying that we give so that God can give us more. Right? That is the wrong attitude. We are generous because God was generous to us first. And we want to pledge so that we can join in God's work. We pledge to change lives. Remember that. The title of today's sermon is T-I-O-C-S-D-A-W. It stands for This is Our Church, Seven Days a Week. Seven days a week. Whether you're here or not, the work goes on. The work goes on here in Singapore, in the neighbourhoods, across the seas. The work goes on. And we need to pledge to maintain that work and the worship of God. Seven days a week. I ask you to bear that in mind as you consider how you can pledge to serve God in this church. Come, let us pray. Father, we thank you for all your blessings on us. You have blessed us in many, many different ways in all our lives especially by calling us into your family, giving us eternal life through Jesus Christ, your Son. And so out of gratitude, help us then to serve you with what we consider precious and treasure, our time, our vigor, our effort, our energy, our health, and of course our resources, our talents, our skills. We pray you use all of us then to build up your kingdom for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen.